0: You know, the scripture says that he that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless return, bringing their sheaves with them. Perhaps this might be the missing thing in our society, perhaps in our lives. Sometimes we think if we get the plan just right, God's got to honor it, but he doesn't have to. But God blesses hearts through broken hearts through broken hearts thank you I recall um, when Sandra my first wife as you know she died 2003 and of course God gave me Camille in 2000 last of 2005 but I remember being off in a revival meeting one time and, and I came home I had to come home for a couple of Occasions for the association and I was going to return and I got home on a Wednesday, I believe. And Sandra said, uh, you know, I've been praying about our neighbor two doors up and said, I called and made an appointment to visit with her. And she said, uh, I went up and she said, I had all my four spiritual laws and I had had to have a fully meaningful life and I had my New Testament all marked. And she said, uh, but when I got there and then she said, about all I did was weep. But she said, I was able to get it out. And I said, she said, I felt so bad that I just wept. I said, well, what happened? She said, um, she invited Jesus into her life. And I said to her, how old are you? And she said, I'm 41. And she said, why have you not become a Christian before now? And she said, Sandra, nobody ever came in my home and wept over my soul before he that goeth forth weeping Jesus said about him as he looked over Jerusalem and he saw the people as sheep having no shepherd and he said He wept. He wept. I know being in Uruguay, I've been there a few months and did something that missionaries had been there 15 years and never done. They had never done a Spanish funeral. But the little church I was trying to serve up on the Brazilian border, we had two deaths in three months. I didn't know enough Spanish to even tell the people, "I was sorry." I didn't have the words, and I recall going with the, to the uh, hospital to, with a young man who was with in the military, and his dad had passed away. We got to the hospital, and, and they said, "He's downstairs, the body's downstairs." And I went downstairs, and here it was in the cold chute, and there was one of these, you know, these boxes that just the size of the body. And we lifted the top, and the flies flew everywhere. And there he was, with had a tracheotomy, and uh, his eyes were still open. And his son stood there and looked, and I looked, and I said, "Lo siento, no puedo expresarme. I'm sorry. I can't even express how I feel. I can't express to you my hurt." He looked at me and said, "Pastor, no importa. That's not important." You're here, and you're weeping with me. Doesn't take an awfully lot. Doesn't take an awfully lot, but just because we care, as someone has said, people don't care what we know until they know that we care. Thank you. You bless my heart. It's so good to be with you today. I look around and see... Some of your faces that I haven't seen in a while, and some of the faces I've seen too often. Oh, <laughs> no, no uh, I love the faces that I see, and I love Larry, and I love Ellen, and, and uh, this morning I was able to see Brother Louis V. Hahn. You know, he was on the committee that brought me here, so if you got some problems, you need to talk with him. He was uh, gracious, he's always been gracious to me, and I, I appreciate that, and thank you uh, for the joy of being with you this morning. We have been listening about decision-making. I'm sure everybody's always made the best decisions. Huh. My, my, my. Life is made up of decisions. Someone said that, that we have to make 5,000 decisions a day. And you know, that that's sort of encouraging. I figure out of 5,000, I must at least make one. So, something to rejoice about. But the Word of God teaches us uh, that, how to make good decisions sometimes we, we uh, don't know between what's right and wrong but I submit most of the time we do, most of the time we know what we ought to do but just finding motivation to do it sometimes I need a, a challenge well Paul knew that because he, he said the things I would do I don't do and things I ought to do I do not oh wretched man who shall deliver me from this body of death he says thanks be to Christ who give us, us a victory but oftentimes, Paul doesn't just tell us, and he never he doesn't tell us something that's, that is principle, but he always comes with practical. And, and in the book of uh, Philippians, he's been talking about some principle things, and then he comes down to some practical things. And I want you to turn with me to the fourth chapter of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, as we uh, will read verse 8 and 9. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. And Paul is a good preacher. He says, Finally. But you know what that means? That doesn't mean he's about to quit. <laughs> but he'd say, he'd say this was the bottom line is this. He's told a number of things, but he said, here's the bottom line. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. You have heard as the news that I, as I have that by uh, the first of the year, all the military will be out of Iraq. We're coming, they're coming home. They are... Uh, uh, whether the job is finished or not, that, that would not be our decision. But they're withdrawing the troops. But you know, this morning, we're in a battle, not to flesh and blood. We're in a battle, however, in which the foe will never withdraw his troops. You and I are in a, in a battle. The battle is not, as uh, the scriptures tell us, is not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against wickedness in high places. And so the battle is not taking place for us out there with flesh and blood. The battle is right here, right here. God has given us a wonderful thing called the brain. And as we are told, it weighs about three pounds. But I was reading some time ago that there is more capacity in that brain than, than they could fill all the Library of Congress. 17 million copies could be put into that computer here. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful instrument. And how how we use it, how we use it to make decisions determines life, for life is, is, is full of decisions. And young people and children and adults, I want to be very practical this morning as I possibly can be because I think this can be of help to you. It's been of help to me. When I was 12 years old, 58 years ago, 57 years ago, I received Christ as my Savior and Lord. I went to school the next day and I thought, wow, everything's going to be just great. All those people I didn't like, I'm going to like, and all those people who, who, who've been a past to me, and I went and found a dead Bible just like I had left them. And I found out all week things, you know, things, my surroundings didn't change. My surroundings didn't change. Well, that next Sunday, when they gave the invitation, I was back down. I came down. I wanted to rededicate my life. I, and I did that so many times, I know my mother and dad got ashamed of me. Or they thought that they, they'd raised the worst kid in the world. But I kept coming down, making rededication of life, making rededication of life. I remember the first passage of Scripture I read, the, uh, memorized, was, was Romans twelve one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And I did that. Boy, I presented my, I presented my body, I presented my body over and over, and I didn't go ahead and learn the second verse. It says, and be not transformed to this world, but be... I would not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the continual reviewing of your mind. And so I came to realize if there was going to be a difference in my lifestyle, there had to be a change here. And so I began to spend time in the word of God. I began to spend time praising the Lord. I did you know, I grew up in a Baptist church, and the little church I grew up in. You know, that was not, they didn't show many emotions. And so, I, and then, then I would go visit with my my mother in the church where she grew up, and whoo, glory be! They shouted all over the place. They danced around tables and and and, and stoves and and ooh, I don't know what to do. Sort of felt like I was a Presbyterian, a chosen frozen. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. I love the Presbyterians, wonderful folks. It predestined me that way. Uh, but I, uh, but 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 I, I began to say, Lord, you know. What could I, and I spent time in his word, and, and I'd go off and spend time alone, and I'd get over in the mountains, and I'd, I'd learn to, I'd start praising, i say, Lord, thank you for the trees, I'd, I'd just thank the Lord for everything, and I'd praise the Lord, because I knew nobody was listening to me, except I knew the Lord was, and so, so things began to make some difference, I found out that, that there were times when I'd be tempted, that uh, I could remember that what the Lord had taught me in my mind, and I'd say, uh-oh, I know where you're going, devil, and I'm not going that direction, so Paul, when he wrote to the church at Philippi, he knew they were going to be as long as they lived. They were going to be faced with the temptations. I thought when I was a kid, I thought, "Boy, someday I'm going to get old enough that I'm not tempted." I figured this past year, when I turned seventy-one, it's going to be my year. I'm not tempted with the same things; just different stuff. But as long as we live, as long as we live, we're going to have, we're going to be in a battle. And so, when I uh, looked at this passage years ago, started doing some study, and I thought, well, there's bound to be some common sense in in these passages. So I, I want to give you some common sense uh, uh, truths this morning that I that I believe if you'll listen to, if you'll write them down, uh, and, and and practice them, because I've I've used it for years and years and years. Paul says, first of all, whatsoever things are true. When he says true, he means it's true in the beginning and it'll be true all along or sometimes we think it's true. But Paul says, whatever we're thinking about doing, what if we carried it out to its end? What What will happen in 10 years from now? Moses in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, he talks about verse 24 through 26. He said, Moses chose to be identified with the people of God rather than enjoying sin for a season because he knew the recompense. He knew what the reward was going to be. So Moses said, uh, there are some things that would feel good, but they're only going to be for a season. He said he decided to walk with the people of God because he knew there was a reward out there. And so the truth is that we, the decisions we're about to make, do we, uh, what if we carried them out to the end? What if we carried out to the end? Somebody said there ought to be the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not commit poopery. <laughs> Thou shalt not commit stupidity, because some when some of these just is uh, an Adam and Eve in the garden. What if they hadn't realized what they're doing? Satan said, "Oh, you know, did, did God really say? Did God really say?" So the first is the first. Whatever things are true is the test of common sense. The test of common sense. Second, he said, whatsoever things are honest. It means in things noble, worthy of respect. It means whatsoever things are worth passing on. The decisions that that you're about to make as a young person or an adult, the decisions that we're having, is it going to be worth passing on? Is it something that I I could suggest to my children, something that I could suggest to my grandchildren? Paul says, if that in any decision making, if you're having to decide whether it's right or wrong, could you recommend it? Could you recommend it to those around them. And I would say that would be the test of sportsmanship. You play by the same rules you expect everybody else to play by. You don't take any, you don't take any condition to say, well I'm the exception. So Paul says, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. Don't he says, don't make extra extemporaneous decisions about everything. When my boys are growing up, I would say, fellas, don't wait till the very situation arises before we make a decision. Make some decisions. And one of the, the decisions we need to make, we've been talking about the statutes of the Lord, we've been singing about them. We need to make decisions what we believe and what we're going to do about the Ten Commandments. Am I going to steal? Say, well, am I might or might not. No, we need to decide, am I going to steal? Where would that end? Am I going to commit some adultery? Uh, am, I going to, am I going to gossip? Uh, I heard about these two ladies talking across the fence. And one of them says, tell me more. And she said, I already told you more than I know already. <laughs> but you know, we, we've got to realize that we've got to say, where, is, where could this lead? Where could this lead? What, how am I going to deal with the, my, with, with the tongue? Or let's or, or take uh, uh, stealing, killing, uh, bearing false witness. Don't make extensitial decisions. The test of sportsmanship decide beforehand. There were some things I decided beforehand as a young man and I decided I'd, that, that I'd never do. And you know, uh, I've stuck by those over the years. Uh, I have to say that there's a couple of them that I didn't stick with, but most of them I did. And so I would say to us, regardless of where we are in our age, make some decisions that, that this I will do and some things I'll never do. You know, in Psalm 1, it was put on the the screen this morning, Uh, the writer says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season and his leaf does not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He said, but the, the end result the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And so here is that it, is it, uh, we, we carry it out to the end. We, we say, what are the results? Uh, don't let it be extemporaneous, but make some decisions and, and and live by them. Then he says, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are right. Someone said, this is this is the test of our best self. They would say, I could really do it if I wanted to. Or uh, there's also a careless self about us. There's a greedy self. There's a passionate self. Jonathan Edwards is probably the greatest brain that. That America ever produced he said this resolve every man ought to do right second resolve he said I will whether anybody else does or not he finished he began his college training at age 13 By the time he was 30 he was president of Princeton University he was a brilliant man but a man who, who, who made a commitment I will live for God whether anybody else does or not. The test of our best self our best self Augustine great great man but a wicked wicked young man. He would he would, uh, he would commit adultery and he'd say oh Lord make me pure but not today. He'd, he'd be tempted to, to steal and he'd say Lord make me pure but not today. Finally there came a point he had to say it's got to be today. had to make a decision. Am I going to be that kind of person? And so the challenge is for us is use the, use the test of our best self. There is a wonderful thing in your life. There is a best self. For you see, every one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of us are more fearfully than we are wonderfully but, but each one of us. And, and you see, Paul is writing to these folks at Philippi. He, he said, I want to leave, God wants to leave all the options open for you. What sin does, bad decisions, reduces life's options. And God says, I don't want my options to be reduced. My son Brian, back when he started in, in law enforcement, his desire was someday to be uh, FBI. And he said, you know, I got to make sure that, number one, that, that I don't ever have a felony in my record. Because if it is, that, that marks it out. He also realized later on that he couldn't because FBI had to have 20-20 perfect vision. He didn't, so that sort of ruled it out. But then God had other things in store for him. But there's some things, there's some things that, that, that we can't be a part of because sin reduces life's options. And God wants us to make good decisions. He wants to make good decisions. Then there's the other test, as Paul says, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, and he said, and then uh, whatsoever things are pure, holy, what what that which could be shared before the Lord. What about it being brought out of secrecy? What if it was gone the decision that I'm about to make or the temptation that's in my life, what if I was about to do it and it was flashed on the screen where everybody could see it? Whoa. If there's ever, one of the questions is reduce the secrecy of it. Bring it out in the open. Bring it out in the open. Carry it out to where everybody could see it. And paul says also whatsoever things are lovely this is the test of the attitude the test of the attitude is our decision making causing us to be more winsome when people fellowship with us do they go away saying boy wasn't that encouraging wasn't that encouraging aren't they encouraging and we live in a world that needs to be encouraged there's one thing that the church ought to be about is encouraging each other. Because you see, we, we, we live in a world where there's a lot of battling going on. There's a lot of vengeance going on. The time is, is in these days is to be encouraging. I love to, to, the material called One Minute Manager. It says, sneak around, find somebody doing something right and brag on them. Back in, in the year 2000, in oh, 1999, this, I guess when it was 2000, 2001, the South Carolina Convention, I was working with them at that time, sent me to Lincoln, Nebraska, to the Gallup Leadership Institute. And I'd wonder why I was going there, but Dr. Dregler felt like it would be good for me to, to be a part of that, and it was one of the most meaningful experiences of my life. When I got there, the whole basis was this. Uh, it was a man by the name of Donald o. Clifton who's written a book called Sower with Your Strengths, Emphasize Your Strengths. When I got there, they said, We're going to, here's, the, here's the, the, the bottom line. There will be no criticism of anybody all the 10 days you're here. You will only look for a person's good, find out where their gifts are. And so I was assigned three people to watch, and then there were three people assigned to watch me. Well, here was the crowd. Here I was. Ned Duncan, Southern Baptist preacher. Right beside of me was an attorney with the National Organization of Women. I thought, boy, this is going to be good. Went on around the line. Here was a comptroller down at the Hilton Head. Then here was an attorney for Disney World. And Southern Baptist had just voted that year to boycott it. And then here was a, an architect from Disney World. Here was a fellow with a... Uh, Exxon Petroleum and it went all around all these important people and then they introduced me as this is Ned Duncan Southern Baptist preacher works for the South Carolina Baptist Convention you could, I could just see ah! glory don't let them say what they're thinking but then then we get we're given assignments we could we had to focus we had to find out where the people's strengths were we the whole focus And I remember we had to, to, we put through different uh, uh, situations and each one of us had to get up. And we had to have a five-minute speech. They were going to video. And following the speech, the people that were watching me, I didn't had no idea who they were. The people watching me, they were going to have to say, or they were going to say, where do they feel that I'm gifted? Well, I did my speech like everybody else did, main strength and awkwardness. But I shared basically some, some stories about, uh, you know, uh, about where I grew up and that my dad was a man who focused on, on my strengths. He, he believed that boys were more important than cars or boys more important than, than, than houses or, or things that were broken. And when I got through, they had, okay, you three who had been watching Mr. Duncan all week, I think we'd been there three or four days. And the guy on the back was uh, one of the architects from Disney World he said uh, sir do you ever do any suicide counseling I said well I probably have but I don't know that uh, that is specifically knew about it it probably has come up probably have he said well he said uh, you ought to because he said You made me want to live today. Hmm. You know what? Boy, from that moment on, I loved Disney World. (laughs) I loved him. And then the now lady, National Organization of Women, she said, I've been watching you all week. And she said... uh, I think I would enjoy being around you. You seem to be a compassionate person. I thought, boy, the NOW is taking a step forward as far as I'm concerned. But this went on for ten days. In about less than five days, we were just like this. Man, it was such a wonderful group. There was fellowshipping together, and I thought, dear Lord, that's a picture of the church. What if every time we got together, we looked around and said, you know, look at our children and say, you know, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, uh, boy, I, I, know, I know your parents are proud of you or, or to your senior adults. Boy, you've got some wonderful grandchildren. And, you know, what if, we, what if we got together on Saturday night and started putting down the people we're going to brag on tomorrow? Woo! Wouldn't that be a little bit different? But I'll tell you what, it would change our lives because it's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul says to the church, whatsoever, whatsoever is is lovely, what is winsome, whatever is winsome. Then he goes on, our time is slipping away, whatever is a, is a good report. The, the test of foresight, walking and talking uh, the same thing, uh, looking forward, who, uh, where would I be in, in 10 years? If, if, if what about this? Is this report good enough? Would I want to pass it on? Uh, let, me, I'll, uh, I'll, let me go ahead and conclude. I want to conclude with my son, Barry. I, he's not here, so I don't owe him five dollars." He uh, when he got out of college. he said, "Dad, if somebody will give me an opportunity, I'll show him that I can sell. I can be, I'm a good salesman. I know he can. And he had. He started a business with his 15. Uh, making as much a week as I was cutting grass almost uh, kept more of it at least but he said, uh, he said I, I want to sell and so he took training to, to sell these uh, uh, replacement windows and vinyl siding and um, he said dad this is a good product and so after two weeks they put him in the community with a salesman to do some on job training and so this was on Monday so they went in and and uh, the salesman said uh, to the people, you know, you're, you're fortunate that we've already sold three houses here in this community, and you're the fourth one, and you are going to get a special deal. And he went through and made the sale and got back in the car. Barry said, you lied to that family. He said, mm, what do you mean you lied? He said, you hadn't sold a thing in this community. He said, well, son, that's part of the sales pitch. Barry said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. He said, why can't you? He said, I, I, that's a lie. And I can't do that. Man said, well, if you're going to sell, you probably need to. Barry said, so he came to my office on Tuesday morning. He said, Dad, I quit that job. I said, tell me about it. He told me, he said, Dad, I went up and found out where the general manager was in Charlotte. And I told him, I, said, I got a point with him. I said, Sir, I want to tell you, I can't work for your company. In fact, he said, I wouldn't work with you if you gave me $100,000 a year. He said, why? He said, Listen, he said, you put me to this man. He said, he went in and told a lie to these people trying to sell those windows. You've got good windows and good final siding. You don't have to do that. And the man said, well, son, after a while, it won't bother you. He said, I know. Probably after a while, that won't bother me. Then maybe after a while, I think it's a little all right for me to run around a little bit on my wife. Who knows, I might start hating my neighbor. i love to end up committing murder. He said, sir, I'm sorry. But if this is all the job I can get, I'll do without a job. And he said, I want you to know I'm not, I can't give you a, 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 a leave of absence. I'm quitting today. And he said, I got up and started to walk out. and He said, Dad, the man said, son, if you ever need a reference, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. He will not have the job he has this morning. I don't believe had he not been willing to say, I can't do that. I can't do that. To us this morning, God has so many wonderful plans for our life. He has so many wonderful plans, regardless of where we are. I'm, I, I, I think this morning, I'm 71 years old. I ought not to be enjoying this. But it's as much excitement as if the, when the day that God called me. Because you see, every day, there's some things I can't do. You saw me stagger up here. I got a, I got a brace on my leg. I got a drop foot. You know, I... When I walk, I'm about as graceful as a pig on ice. But, but, but you know, and I can't run. But I didn't want to run any at 71 years of age. But I think of all the things that are still open, still open. And, 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 and when we, we think about God's plan for our life, God's plan for our life, God says, I want you to make the decisions that are free of sin if at all possible. But even when we sin, what if we sin, if we confess our sins, what? He is faithful and just. Said, "Forgive us one time." No, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The scriptures tell us he's he's full of grace and truth. He's full of grace and truth, and he loves us so much that he wants to make a, us make the best decisions possible. Paul, we've got a wonderful Lord. We've got a wonderful Lord, and he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our lives. He said, "I hold before you life." And death choose life are there those this morning who have not chosen that life in Christ he has that wonderful plan for your life he wants us to know what is that but the will of God is good it's acceptable and it's perfect I want to be a part of that do you are you a part of it we're going to stand this moment and sing a hymn of invitation and the, the invitation is do you receive Christ as Savior and Lord. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him the dead, thou shalt be saved. We do that through confession of our, of our faith. Maybe there are those this morning, who would say, well, boy, the devil's had me whipped down. And I, I've, got a, I've got a clue. I've got a clue. I'm going to not let him whip me here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force myself to think and meditate on the things that are right.